Hello and welcome to the Queen's Reading Room podcast, the place where we invite lovers of literature to share with us some of the bookish treasures from their own reading rooms. Last week, we shared a cup of tea with Dame Joanna Lumley and learnt all about her passion for reading. I'm Vicky Perrin, Chief Executive of the Queen's Reading Room, and today I'm inviting you to plug into the joy of poetry as we delve into the bookshelves of our nation's children's laureate and author of the Luna Loves and Fairy Tales Gone Bad series. We're stepping into the reading room of... Hello, my name is Joseph Coilo. ...to explore the books he simply couldn't live without. In my house, we keep most of the books in the kitchen. The books I tend to keep are the ones that have moved me, ones that, or those that I intend to read, and there's a lot of those. Um, or, you know, ones that I've got a, a personal relationship with, you know, things that I, I may have studied or things that I've dogged. I know a good book when it's full of dog ears and post-it notes, and I am a, a, a stickler for dog earring books. I, I feel like a book should be used and read and annotated. Um, so if you spot a book on my shelves, which is, uh, you know, got loads of post-it notes sticking out the top of it and you can see all the dog ears, that's a good book. <laughs> Books that have sentimental value to me include things like, actually one I've brought with me, is Tony Robinson's Beloved. And I've, I've got it here. It's a very dog-eared, <laughs> as you see, and very annotated. But this was actually my, I'm not sure if I should have it. It's my school edition. I probably should have gave it back. But it's so annotated that it, it feels like I... I could never give it, <laughs> give it to anyone. Um, and I absolutely adore this book. I think it was... Um, you know, when I started, was it GCSE English or was it A-level? It may have been GCSE, actually. But it was the first time I was really diving and analysing a text. And so you can see from how creased and crumpled it is that it's been well used. And so that has great sort of sentimental value to me. So beginning of Beloved, chapter one. One, two, four was spiteful, full of a baby's venom. The women in the house knew it and so did the children. For years, each put up with the spite in his own way. But by 1873, Sefa and her daughter Denver were its only victims. I mean, if that doesn't get you wanting to read the rest of the book, I don't know what will. <laughs> Another one is this little ladybird book I've got called Spine Tinglers. Um, and I used to love the little ladybird collections. Um, they did a whole fairy tale series and they've got quite scary pictures inside so this one uh, is a series of poems by Zenka and Ian Woodward and it's illustrated by Chris Russell um, but the illustrations inside are quite dark so there's a poem here called Ooh, Ooh Ah Ah by Robert Godfrey and the picture shows an old lady in a graveyard looking down on three corpses and I'd forgotten about this book until a couple of weeks ago um, a friend of mine shared an image of it of the cover on social media and all these memories came flooding back and I messaged her saying I used to have that book as a kid um, and I, I hunted it down and got myself a copy um, and as I was looking through it I started to remember all the pictures so I think it must have been from a time when I maybe wasn't reading confidently alone because I couldn't really remember the poems but the pictures like there's one of a little boy in bed here and you can see there's a little monsters between the walls things like that really just stuck in my head and it was like visiting an old friend we've got a poem called Queen Nefertiti by Anon by Unknown and 
she's like a blue sorceress and i found that quite scary as a kid but loved it because it was scary so those two books beloved by tony morrison and spine tinglers ladybird edition have quite a lot of sentimental value Initially, I was a bit of a late starter, uh, just because that I wasn't regularly read to to start with. Um, but then that sort of changed as you know it, it became obvious that it wasn't all up to the school to to get me reading. Um, and once I caught up, I sort of fell in love with books. I would get the Christmas annuals every year. I'd often get a, like a Wizard and Chips or Beano um, annual at Christmas. And then that sort of grew to kind of uh, Rupert the Bear and uh, Tintin, and they became like my sort of Christmas staples. Um, and amongst those were the, the first books I started to buy myself. Um, you know, in the run up to Christmas, you'd start to see all the Christmas annuals coming out for all the various comics. Um, and I would, once I started to have, have pocket money and things, I'd start to buy my own. Um, uh, yeah, and I I really loved playing with words. Like even though our home wasn't chock a block sort of with books. There was permission to play with words. Um, and so we would always be making up little ditties and and punning. Um, and so I always felt permission to play with words. And I think because of that, I felt words were something that were mine quite early on because of that permission I had in the home. I'm trying to reread more now. Um, in the past, I haven't regularly reread books. I've dipped. I, I'm a serial dipper. Like there's lots of books I will start. And yeah, I'm probably, you know, often reading about five or six books at a time and I, I will read what you know depending on how the mood takes me um I do so like I, I love Stephen King I'll read a lot of Stephen King I read a lot of short stories because they just really suit um my lifestyle when I'm on trains and in hotels I can sort of dip into a short story collection um I like horror and sci-fi um I recently read Michael Crichton's Congo I kind of like that sort of dare I say, almost pulpy <laughs> yeah, sort of, uh, sci-fi um, and, and, and horror books. Uh, I also like graphic novels. I'm reading a great um, graphic novel series called Space Boy um, by Stephen McCranny um, at the moment, which started off on Webtoons online. And now you can get the Omnibus series. And it's just a, a beautiful graphic novel series um, that features space travel and the future and robots and... Yeah, but it's all about uh, young people at school and it's, it's just a really lovely series. Um, so I'm, I'm reading that, but I also read lots of nonfiction. And, and as a kid, I would read a lot of nonfiction. I, would, you know, I was very lucky to have the local library next door and I would always take out books um, about beachcombing, even though I was in the, you know, zone three of London, nowhere near a beach. Um, but I would daydream about living by the sea and I now live by the sea. So I feel like it's because of those beachcombing books and I would get out books about metal detecting, uh, which probably got me onto archaeology, which I ended up studying. Um, and, and now as an adult, yeah, I tend to dip into books about dinosaurs, you know, that, um, so about paleontology um, or about birds. Um, I started reading Maya Rose Craig's um, book, uh, Bird Girl, um, all about her her life as a as a bird enthusiast um, from very young to you know adulthood. So yeah, graphic novels, nonfiction, horror, and sci-fi. <laughs> Thank you.
The way I approach projects when writing depends on what the project is. So if I'm writing a longer form piece, so like a, a middle grade or YA novel, then I will be researching, you know, depending on, you know, what it's about. So that might mean a trip to the British Library and spending some time in the reading rooms there, um, or spending a lot of time online and searching out books and podcasts and TV programs, which then direct my reading further. So um, I'm quite interested in horror. Um, I'm working on a sort of ghost ghostly horror at the moment but I've been really interested of late in kind of uh, the history of ghosts you know how we talk about ghosts and what ghosts are and what they mean so I've been you know listening to a lot of podcasts um, um, about ghosts things like uh, Uncanny by Danny Robbins um, I've also gone on to watch 222 the West End production that he wrote uh, which also deals with you know ghosts and things and reading a lot um, about uh, ghosts such as Ghostland by Edward Parnell which sort of you know, delves down into the sort of societal relevance of uh, ghosts and um, I guess the supernatural um, yeah so that all kind of feeds into what I might end up writing about um, and just gives me some background and, and engages me with the world I want to get into the world of the the characters or the subject areas that I want to write about um, and it's the same with poetry um, if I'm I wrote a collection of poems called um, a year of nature a year of nature poems um, and was writing a poem for each month of the year but um, thinking about the natural world. So I did a lot of research around daffodils um, to write a whole sonnet about daffodils and the fact that there are 14 different species of daffodils, which felt perfect for a sonnet which has 14 lines. So um, I ended up you know, naming, name dropping every daffodil within that poem. So that required quite a lot of research. I've also uh, wrote poems about um, Fly Garrick, the toadstool that we all recognise, the red one with the white dots, which is actually really toxic and poisonous. So I was researching that and starlings and how starlings um, are known as quite violent birds because they do fight. Um, but there was a legend in Cork that comes from Cork um, about two uh, the flocks of starlings going to war in the 1600s and uh, there's no evidence of, of this but you can see how they came across this idea because you can find starlings that have perished from battling one another so you can it's not a massive leap to imagine a whole battle in the sky um so kind of research like that finding out about legends and history but also comparing it with what we actually know about the animals and plants and um all of that helped me create that collection I've been working in schools for over 20 odd years. I was working in schools as a creative writing practitioner and performance poet long before I was published. I was very lucky that I came um, sort of in, into this area of work when Creative Partnerships was around. So Creative Partnerships was a government initiative to put creatives in schools to work alongside teachers. So there was time and money for wonderful projects. Some of these projects were 30 weeks long um, and they would have briefs like um, explore literacy with year two outside 
during winter <laughs> you know and we had a huge amount of fun i think it snowed that year so we were coming up with like literacy games outside in the snow um and working alongside teachers up and down the country just uh, finding innovative ways to get young people interested in the written word and coming from a performance poetry background my way in was always to perform to them to show them how much fun performing poetry could be and then to invite them into that world for them to realize that writing and poetry is theirs as well um, that their words are valid that their words and ideas are important that anyone can be a poet and that's what i'm still doing today and one of my big projects as laureate has been a thing called the poetry prompts where i'm releasing a video every monday and each video is five to 10 minutes long. And in that video, I show kids a fun, simple way to write a poem. I've just filmed the 70th poetry prompt. We've got many more to come. We've got lots of celebrity guests and stuff. Um, so if you're interested in that, dear listeners, then uh, that's booktrust.org.uk forward slash poetry prompts. And they're free to use. There are free resources available that have been created by the Centre for Literacy and Primary Education so that if teachers or parents want to take their children's writing of poetry further, then they can knowing that there are curriculum tie-ins. Um, but I feel that that's so important because if you can invite children into the world of writing, it affects so many things. And I always say this to kids, it's important not only if you want to be a writer, but if you want to write a strong worded complaint or have a fantastic job application um, or to write a review or a letter or a the next best-selling computer game or superhero movie or just a wonderful email you know whatever you do in life writing will be involved and the earlier children can realize that their words have power the easier those aspects of their life will become Why do I think it's so important to read? I think it's so important to read because uh, reading broadens horizons, does all that great stuff. You know, there have been numerous studies that show that if you, the earlier you read, the better your life chances are and all the rest of it. We know, we know instinctively reading's a good thing. It's a good thing. It broadens our minds. Um, it takes us takes us into other worlds so it gives us a way to escape which is really lovely and really beneficial but also tells us about our neighbors tells us about our friends tells us about people that are like us tells us about people that are nothing like us um, enables us to find out about the lives the lives and experiences of all sorts of people from all over the world uh, people that existed hundreds thousands of years ago people that have never existed people that might exist you know we can have futuristic visions we can explore our deepest fears uh we can explore you know the wonders of 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 love and community and friendship and imagination through these strange little black marks on pieces of paper which is when you really think about it it's so odd you know it's so counterintuitive it's so against anything we were I don't know, if we if you look at the, the human body as an animal why can we do why can we do this why are we able to what evolutionary purpose does it serve that we are able to make little tiny marks on paper and imagine a whole world and smell a scent and re remember a memory um and i think that's because it's there's something innate something in the universe that wants us to be able to to share and discover beyond our own uh physical experience so for all those reasons we should all be reading 
As our nation's children's laureate, Joseph is helping so many children find and connect with books, developing a love of reading and writing, which will support and comfort them throughout their lives. A while back, we talked to another national treasure, the wonderful Stephen Fry, about what books meant to him as a young boy. Take a listen. Well, I was very young when I was about seven or, or so, I guess, and, and had really started reading for pleasure. I can remember this feeling when there was a story that I was in the middle of, that it was under my pillow, um, or it was by the bed, or it was in a particular corner of a room where I sat and read, and that I could always go there, and it was a refuge. And no matter how miserable I was because my friends didn't like me or I couldn't play a game that they wanted me to play or whatever it was I was moody about, this private refuge that reading gave me was soon the most important part of my life. It was somewhere I could always be happy and secure and where there were thousands of extraordinary characters and friends whom I could know and whom, whom I could like and who would like me and all of that. Um, so that was one of the very first things reading did for me. And all the subsequent rings of intellectual solace and uh, philosophical pleasure and, and deep meaning and uh, profound experiences of art and so on, important as those are, underneath it all, there is still that immense sense of a refuge, of a great hug that a book can give you that nothing else can quite imitate. In each episode of this podcast, we put a question to the Queen about her own reading room. This time, we asked Her Majesty, Lewis Carroll or Hans Christian Andersen? Hans Christian Andersen. Awful thing to admit, I've never really liked Lewis Carroll. I was, I was rather sort of, I was rather put off by Alice and going down that rabbit hole. I don't know, it always rather frightened me as a child. I, and, I, and, and, you know, all the mad hatters and the red queens, and um, it, it just wasn't my favourite. Sadly, that is just about all we have time for. But just before we go, let's hear a favourite line of literature from one of our guardians of this nation's reading rooms, marketing programme owner Georgina from Lincoln Central Library. Every book, every volume you see here has a soul the soul of the person who wrote it and of those who read it and lived and dreamed with it. Every time a book changes hands, every time someone runs his eyes down its pages, its spirit grows and strengthens. From the Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Afon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Queen's Reading Room podcast. We're a charity on a mission to spread the joy of books and reading. You can find out more about what the Queen is reading and what she recommends by joining her book club on Instagram at The Queen's Reading Room or by checking out our website, thequeensreadingroom.co.uk for more fabulous literary treasures. Next time, we chat to one of our generation's greatest novelists and deepest thinkers, the simply delightful Elif Shafak. See you next time.